Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, if you're new to the Bible. The Bible is in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter one is where we're going to be, and we'll get there in just a moment. If you're new with us, we are in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Jesus, and today we're looking at the fruit of faithfulness. There's something about sitting here in corporate worship that you can't get at home. One of, the, one of the reasons why that is, I was singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and, and right, right behind me, Ron and Marge Harrington, Guy Lathrop, and I'm, and I'm hearing, even through the mask, I'm, I'm hearing them sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and, and to think about their life and their story, and to be able to proclaim, God has been faithful to me over the years. You can't get that at home, right? You, there's something about the corporate worship of God's people. So we're glad you're here this morning to worship with us as we look at the fruit of faithfulness. How do we cultivate faithfulness in our lives? When we look at our lives, especially when things get busy and we're running on empty, what's the first thing to go? I think if we're honest, it's prayer, our time with God. And yet when we look at the life of Jesus, I mean, if anyone was too busy to pray, it was him, right? Yet we see that the key to his life of faithfulness is that he didn't let anything get in the way of his priority to pray. And so here's my simple aim today. I want you to see prayer not as the first thing to go when you get busy, when you're running on empty, but I want you to see prayer as a desperately needed priority in your life. And to take some practical steps today to cultivate this life of faithfulness like Jesus. We don't become faithful people by looking at our faithfulness. We reflect and think on the faithfulness of Jesus. And by his spirit, we become more and more faithful like he is. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. I want to read verses 35 to 39. This is the word of God. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, in order for us to come to grips with the life of Jesus and his 
prayer life and how he prioritized prayer. We need to see this in its context. So let's look at what happened the previous day. In verse 21 of chapter one, it says, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. So this was his custom. He enters the synagogue, begins to teach. Now what was the reaction of the people as he taught? It says in verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So evidently there was something about Jesus. No one ever spoke like this man. He wasn't citing sources because he was the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And he was teaching with authority and they were blown away by this. And yet there was, there was a man there in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, it says. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes him, says, be silent, come out of him. And it says in verse 27, in verse 27, the response of the people is, this man commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. So so once again, they were blown away by Jesus' authority and his teaching and casting out demons. That's the first thing that happened in his day. You see the scene switch in verse 29. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon, who we'll learn later, his name is called Peter. Jesus changes his name. In verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Verse 31 says, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So this is a miraculous healing by Jesus. It wasn't hard for him. He had authority to heal, and he had tenderness. Simon's mother-in-law had a fever, a debilitating fever. Perhaps they were worried that she would even die. Jesus touches her. She's instantly healed, begins to serve them. That's the second thing that happened in Jesus' day. Now, to end his day, in verses 32 to 34, we see that Jesus is being flocked by people. I mean, his fame was spreading. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So that was a long day. I mean, you got the whole city gathered around the door, says he was healing many who were sick with various diseases, casting out many demons. We don't know how long the line was, but evidently it took a long time This was a busy, tiring day for Jesus. And yet, it was, quote unquote, a successful day. This was a wonderful day of ministry. When I think about myself here, and nowhere near the kind of day Jesus had, right? But you know, when you've had a long day, tiring, busy day, and we've had some of those, probably teachers, I'm guessing this past week, and you come off of that, Nobody would blame you for sleeping in, wanting to sleep in and just veg out the next day, right? To to, to catch up on a little R&R. But look at what Jesus does. In verse 35, coming off of that kind of day, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place 
And there he prayed. So Jesus wouldn't let anything get in the way of his priority to pray. And remember who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is? Mark wants to make sure that you know who Jesus is. He is the son of God. He is the king who has authority over all things. And here he is praying. So the simple application right away here is if Jesus prayed, how much more should we pray? To put a priority on our prayer life. So what I want to do is I want to look at how Jesus prioritized prayer as the key to living a life of faithfulness. We want to follow his example. So I'm going to just walk through this passage answering three questions today, three really simple questions. Number one, when did Jesus pray? When did Jesus pray? Number two, where did Jesus pray? And then number three, why did Jesus pray? So let's begin with when. When did Jesus pray? Verse 35 again says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now I want you to notice a few things. As you're studying your Bible, I hope there's key words you see that are repeated. As you walk through the very first chapter of Mark, you're going to see this word and, this connecting word, conjunction word, repeated over and over again, signaling to us that Mark is in a hurry, and this happened, and immediately this this happened next. I already gave it away, but the other word that he uses constantly, in fact, 39 times in this gospel, is the word immediately. So so Mark's gospel reads like an action movie. So if you're kind of in a place right now, you're not reading in the Bible anywhere, I encourage you, go to the book of Mark. It is nonstop. It is a a quick-paced book. Mark is in a hurry to get to the cross. I mean, he even skips the birth of Jesus. He's like, I just want to get to the main thing. I want to get right out of the gate and show you who this is. He's the son of God, and I want to march all the way to the cross as quickly as I can. I can't help but tell you the good news about Jesus. And so we find it ironic here, then, that if that's the way that Mark went about his gospel, that he takes this brief intermission, if you will, in the action movie to show us a glimpse of Jesus' prayer life. Jesus wasn't in a hurry. Even on his most busiest days, coming off of his busiest days, he made prayer a priority. Notice the when. It says, in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, if we could see the words very early in the original language, this meant the final watch All right, this was the 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock a.m. time period. Some of you have never even been in that time period when you just don't even want to be acquainted with that period of time. But that's when Jesus got up to pray. It says it was still dark. I think that means that it was probably closer to 3 o'clock than it was 6 o'clock in the morning. So why does that matter? Why does it mattered that Jesus got up very early while it was still dark. Well, I think it shows us that Jesus was very intentional. He wanted to start his day with God, not with man. Prayer came first. It was his priority. And so I simply want to ask you this. How do you start your day? Let's get really practical right away here. How do you start your day? 
It's been well noted that most successful people in various fields of business and education and all sorts of fields will start their day with something other than their work. Will start their day with something bigger than themselves to give them perspective, to give them direction, to remind them of their purpose. I'm sure some of those folks are Christians and when we think about the start of our day, it matters. Some of you are already doing this. You are regular, you know, morning, you're up, you're ready, you're reading, you're praying, you're seeking God. For some of, some of you, this might be a new thing. And so uh, maybe you're like me, you grew up, and when you think about when you prayed, you had basically three times you prayed. You had three prayers that you had memorized, if you're like me. <laughs> so uh, before meals, I had the God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food, amen. <clears throat> I was bothered by the fact that food and good didn't rhyme. I don't know if that bothered anybody else out there. <laughs> and then, then, then you have your bedtime prayer, the now I lay me down to sleep. Did you guys pray this one? See some of you, yeah, yeah, okay. And then when you got to church, you had the Lord's Prayer memorized. So, so th that was me growing up. Like, that was when I prayed, right, those, those three main times. But if you asked me about my prayer life beyond that, you know, maybe help, you know, like if I really needed help on a test or help, help us win this football game or something strange like that. There was, there was not a lot of focused time set aside to pray. So this might be a new thing for some of you, but I wanna encourage you today to start praying. If you're also like me, you grew up thinking whenever the, the pastor or somebody mentions prayer, all of a sudden, like, guilt comes into your mind. Um, because this was more of a have to, I, I better pray. And I, I wanna just change that as, as much as I can by looking at the story here of Jesus here. This is, this is not a motivation by by guilt, it's a motivation by his grace. This is a get to, this is a privilege for us to enter into prayer. And so where, where do I start? Where, where do I start? One of the things that I wanna encourage you with is to form a new habit. And a while back, I mentioned this book. It's, it's a secular book, best-selling book, called The Power of Habit. Can't remember the author right now. But in this book, this, this guy argues for the fact that, that our brains are made and designed uh, with these neurological pathways. To make it kind of easier on our brain, we get cues and rewards. And in the middle are these pathways so that the brain doesn't have to work too hard, it develops these routines, these, these habits. And so all of us here in this room, to some degree, we are creatures of habit. And so let me just give you an example of how this works out. So if you wanted to start the habit, let's say, of, of running, jogging in the morning. One cue that you could have would be, first of all, to set your alarm. Second of all, you already set out your clothes, like what you're going to wear in the morning, right? You've got your shoes right there. So when the alarm goes off, the cue is, there's my clothes, there's my shoes. I put them on, all right? Then I go outside, and I start to run. And the reward at the end of this, depending on who you are, might just be the adrenaline rush that you get. Right? And the feeling that you get that I accomplished something today as I started off my day. Some of you need more than that. Maybe, 
Maybe a donut. I don't know. But that's, that's the kind of way that your brain is hardwired to, to work along these neurological pathways. So let's don't say that that doesn't matter when it comes to forming habits, when it comes to forming spiritual habits. We can also do the very same thing. We can carve out space in the morning and say, hey, I'm setting my alarm, and that means I'm going to bed early enough to where I can get up a little earlier, and I've set out my Bible, my, my journal, maybe it's a, a devotional, in a, in a place where that's going to be my place, all right? Um, a, comf- a comfortable place, a place where you're just going to go every morning. And maybe uh, the reward for you, I know it is for me, is that a hot cup of coffee there as I spend time with the Lord in prayer and reading. A couple things that I have found helpful, just uh, if you're interested, these are two maybe resources if you want to write them down. Uh, There's a book called Everyday Prayers by Scotty Smith. So if you're one who's, I'm not even sure how to pray, you need someone else to kind of help you to um, spur on your prayer life. He writes out prayers, and that could be uh, some way to ignite your own prayer life. A little, a little deeper on that end of, of praying is Valley of Vision. Uh, this is a book on prayer, and it's kind of older prayers gathered together. Uh, that could be also an encouragement to you as you start your day to, to stimulate prayer in your life. I also want to encourage you. I know throughout this pandemic, the Psalms have been a place that I have gone to again and again and again. Just pick a Psalm and start reading through the Psalms, jotting down maybe in a journal just one thing that stands out to you and one thing that you're going to pray about that day. Um, Easy ways to begin the process of forming a new habit. Now, I want to be honest with you, though. I understand, and it's true of me as well. There are things that get in the way of that. Sometimes we are in a rush to get to work. Either mentally or physically, we just want to start our day. We see our list. We, we, we feel like we're bombarded with a lot coming at us. And so the temptation is to move right ahead to work. Don't do it. You're not too busy to pray. John Piper said this, God acts when we pray. He can do more in five seconds than you can do in five hours. You ever had that happen before? Like you've been struggling with something. You just can't seem to to get to where you need to get to. Maybe it's um, an issue at work or maybe it's a relational problem and you're just thinking things through or you're trying to plan things out and just you come to this place where I need a breakthrough And finally, you you stop to pray, spend some time with the Lord in prayer, and boom, he gives you an insight. He he gives you uh, next steps. He's just waiting for us to come to him in prayer. And I am so slow to learn this. I don't know about you. I want to rush ahead. I want to do something. Prayer seems like I'm not doing anything. Jesus modeled this for us before he began his day. He started everything by meeting with his father in prayer. So that was, that was the when. How about the where? Where did Jesus pray? Verse 35 again says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. A desolate place. Now this is the same word in Mark chapter one, verse 12, where it says the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, a desolate place. You have to think about this for a minute. I don't know if this is true, 
Well, wouldn't that be strange if Jesus went back to the same place where he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and that Jesus was met by the Father and and angels and, and for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and the Spirit helped him in that hour? I don't know. But here's what I do know. The point is that Jesus got away from everyone in the morning to be alone with his Father in heaven. No interruptions unhindered time of getting alone with God. And we all need this. Oswald Chambers says this, solitude with God repairs the damage done by the fret and noise and clamor of the world. Do you get alone with God? In the morning, maybe throughout the week? That's hard to do in this day and age. And it was even hard for Jesus Look at verses 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with them searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. So I love Simon's heart here. He's like, what? He wakes up, and Jesus is not in the house. He's departed. And so he's like, guys, we need to form a search team. And and the word search here means to hunt down. Like they had to find Jesus because he was thinking, there's more people Right? They're, they're all crowded here, and, and, and Jesus, man, everyone wants a piece of you. We need to capitalize on this time right here because, man, everybody's coming to you. Where did you go? Why are you alone now? Everybody's looking for you. He was almost irritated. And yet we see here that popularity is not Jesus' priority. That's not why he came. He wasn't there to gain a crowd. He did value people's lives. Some commentators want to say that, well, Jesus wanted just to get to preaching and he didn't really uh, put a priority on uh, healing and helping people, but I don't think that's true. I think that we see that he he did both. Um, it, It mattered to him, the lives of people, the whole life of a person, even though he did put special priority on preaching the gospel. And here, so everybody's looking for Jesus, and that happens in our lives as well. I don't know about you, but maybe you moms, you feel like the, the everybody that's looking for me are my kids. You know? like everybody's looking for me. Why, is, why do you always need me? I just need some time away. I need some time to be with God in prayer. Others of you, your kids aren't looking for you so much. It's, it's your list that's coming looking, looking for you in the morning. It's your deadlines that are looking for you in the morning. It's your work that's, that's looking for you in the morning. Some of you, it's social media is looking for you in the morning. You are missing something. You're missing some of the news. You're missing what somebody tweeted. You're missing what somebody put on their Facebook page, and it comes looking for you in the morning. I've noticed this, that we are living in such an overconnected world right now. We are instantly accessible. This was not the case generations ago. We are living at such a fast, insane pace of life right now. And the other thing about it is, I don't know if this has resonated with you, but I'm made to feel like I need to have empathy for everybody in the entire world. So like if I don't have this issue on my heart, I should because someone else is bothered by that. So like it's empathy overload. Like I've got this and I've got this and I've got this and I should pray about this and I should be thinking about this and I should be helping there. And all of a sudden, Our hearts can be tied in so many directions. And we're we're never made to live like this. I read 
recently a sociologist said that um, we were made, and I don't know how we got this statistic, but we were made to live amongst a village of 150 people. It's like our capacity. Like when you start going beyond that number and being engaged in the lives of more people than that, it's hard. So even like in church life here, right, it can be hard when we have a growing number of people. And yet in that, Jesus calls us to follow his example, to get away and to be alone with God. So here's kind of an application step for you. Maybe this isn't every day, but maybe once a week or at least once a month, try to carve out space where you can get alone with God for maybe an afternoon, right? Maybe an entire morning, maybe an entire day. I don't know, we have different schedules here. It might not work for everybody, but to have some time of solitude and silence just to be with your Father in heaven, to get off your screens and to get into God's creation. I love this time of the year. Fall season is, is beautiful to walk outside, just to be in God's creation, to be present with God without your phone and just soaking in his, his creation and his goodness and his grace. And so Jesus, he put a priority on prayer. He got away in a desolate place without interruptions to be alone with God. So why did he do that? That's the third question. Why did Jesus pray? Sometimes that confuses people. I think that we think, well, why did he even need to pray since he's God? Is he praying to himself? Why, why did Jesus need to pray? And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus had an eternal relationship with his Father. So before he even became a man, he existed in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship with one another. And so when, when, he, when he prayed, he was, he was continuing that relationship and that submission to his father as he lived here on earth. It wasn't just for our example. He needed to pray and wanted to pray. So here's a few reasons why Jesus prayed. Number one, he prayed out of love and dependence upon his father. Love and dependence upon his father. You see in John uh, 5, 19 to 20, do we have that working? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So we see that, that Jesus had this communion with the father. He depended on the father for everything in ministry. I love what Paul Miller says in his great book, A Praying Life, that Jesus was the most dependent human being who ever lived. He was dependent upon his father. He did nothing apart from the father's will. And he had this love and, and devotion to his father. You know, when he came to pray, he wasn't confessing sin, right? He didn't have no sin to confess. So I'm sure that after that busy previous day, he was just thanking the father and depending on him for what was to come. Secondly, a second reason why Jesus prayed, it was for power and reliance upon the Spirit. For power and reliance upon the Spirit of God. In, in Luke's gospel, he's kind of the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He's mentioning the Spirit again and again and again. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. 
and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. If you would follow the first few chapters of Luke, you see Jesus anointed by the Spirit of God at his baptism. The, the dove came in a form of a dove, the Spirit of God upon him. He was, he was thrust out into the wilderness by the Spirit, led him there, and now he's being empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And so he, he needed to pray, to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit for his ministry. Third reason why Jesus prayed. It gave him perspective on his purpose, his greater purpose in life. Look at verses 36 to 38 again. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next town so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so praying, I think, reminded Jesus again of his mission. This is why I came to this earth. This is why I'm here, is to preach the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And praying gave him perspective on his greater purpose in life as he preached the gospel and made his way to the cross. And so as we think about our own lives and apply those reasons to pray. We can think about it this way. Prayer is first and foremost a relationship. It's not a list, it's, it's about love. You think about spending time with your spouse. There are some things you just don't text, right? You know that, right? There are some things you just don't text. You've gotta have a face-to-face, -face, right? You would not have a, a texting date with your spouse, that would not be Appropriate. You, you need to be face-to-face -face with one another, right, to spend time. And it's not quick. It's time spent together, and it's quality time and quantity time. We need to make sure that when we think about the why of our praying, we remember that we pray based on our relationship with God. It's not first and foremost like he's some cosmic you know, genie up there and if we tap on his shoulder, he should give us stuff. It's I love him and I trust him and I wanna be with him in prayer. Secondly, prayer is the point that our weakness meets his strength. Prayer is the point that our weakness meets God's strength. And so just like Jesus, we need to depend upon God for strength, for peace for everything in our day, right? In Romans 8, it's not up there, but it says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groans. Do you know what I find fascinating about that verse? It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It doesn't say weaknesses. What that means is that we are always in a place of weakness. In this frail life that we live, we are weak people. That's why we need to pray. So listen, if you're like me, and, and you look at your prayer life, and you think, I have some room to grow, perhaps you can think about it this way. Maybe I'm a little more prideful than I thought, because I'm not praying very often. I actually think that I can do life on my own. Have you realized how weak you really are, and how reliant you need to be upon your Father, and upon the Spirit of God? 
And then thirdly, prayer reminds us of our purpose. It gives us perspective like it did for Jesus. It's really important that we answer that question, why, when it comes to our lives. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, when you get up in the morning, sometimes it helps to to center your life upon God in prayer to remind you before you go out to your workplace, what's my bigger purpose? What am I doing all this for anyway? You need to answer that question of why to step back and think about that before you rush on to work. And so we need to remember the why of how Jesus prayed here. And then as we close here, I want to just say this. The enemy wants to do whatever he can to keep you from praying. You know that, right? Here's why. Faithfulness in prayer leads to faithfulness in life, leads to fruitfulness like Christ, leads to glory to God. I'll say that again. Your faithfulness in prayer leads to faithfulness in life, which leads to fruitfulness in Jesus, which gives glory to God. So if, if the enemy can, can thwart your prayer life, it's going to affect your faithfulness and your fruitfulness in you bringing glory to God. He wants to convince you you can do this life on your own. You don't need to pray. So especially when life gets really busy, just keep working. Just just give in to your flesh. And it's here we can identify with, with the disciples. We think of the last time that Jesus prayed in the book of Mark is actually when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember this, right? He's at his most difficult hour here and if ever there was a time he needed his friends, it was there. And yet we see in Luke twenty-two forty-five. this is kind of a picture of us. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. That's a, that's a picture of us. We can identify with this. We're not praying in times where we need to pray. We're just exhausted. Jesus needed his friends in this time, and they were not faithful And yet, Jesus remained faithful. In Mark 14, 41 to 42, says this, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And so I love what Jonathan Edwards says here, the greatest act of faithfulness in the history of the universe happened when Jesus looked at these men falling asleep on him and could have said, why should I, infinitely greater than all the angels of heaven and all the kings of the earth, take this burning agony into my heart and soul, cast myself into this eternal furnace for those who will never repay me or profit me one iota, who cannot even stay awake with me one hour in a time of greatest need? Why should I give in to unimaginable torment when they will not even give me a few minutes of their attention. And yet we see that Jesus kept on going to the cross. He was faithful when we were faithless. Which is why Paul could say that to encourage Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.13. So, ultimately, Christ's faithfulness is not dependent upon your faithfulness. In prayer, we will fail, and yet he will never fail us. And so the key to faithfulness, listen, the key to faithfulness is ultimately that we keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are very patient with us as we think about our prayer life, as we think about how many things are vying for our attention, how we're prone to give way to 
just distraction and work and our kids and other things that, that need our attention. We pray that you would cultivate in our lives a desire to be with you, a desire to meet with you in prayer. And we thank you that when we do fail, you remain faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Keep us, Lord, faithful to the end. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.